and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, I'm really happy to welcome someone I've known for years who's doing great things in Australia right now. Thomasina Boone is a sales and business development executive turned entrepreneur who's moved to the United States and now living in Sydney. And I'm really happy to welcome her to start right here. She's going to tell us about her switch from corporate America to entrepreneurship, as well as her switch from working in the U.S. to Australia. Welcome, Thomasina. Thank you for having me. Hello. Can you give us your 30-second bio? Yes. My name is Thomasina Boone. Most people call me Tommy. I am an entrepreneur. I think I found that passion when I got here in Australia. Dual citizen of Australia and of America. A mom of two. A wife. And a dedicated beauty fanatic. I love products. And from the head to the toe, it don't matter. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? Detour. 100% detour. But that's been like the story of my life. (laughs) What did you think you were going to do? I was an auditor. I got out of school, graduated. Communication, broadcast communication was my degree. And I hadn't lined anything up. Even in broadcast communication, I thought I was going to be on TV possibly, but that didn't really work out for me because I didn't line anything up. So then a friend of mine got me, I fell back on what I know, which was math. So they said, we have an auditor's job at the hospital. And I was an auditor for a few years, but you know, there's nothing glamorous about being an auditor and nobody wants to see an auditor. And then I detoured into sales, ad sales. So how did you switch to ad sales? who I spoke to, but I remember talking to my mom at one point, family members, and they were like, you know, this is not for you. You're so much more glamorous than this. This is when the New York Times had the one ad. So <laughs> I opened up the newspaper and was going through the one ad and the Nation. Remember the Nation magazine? Well, not remember. The Nation is the most liberal magazine out there. They were hiring an ad exec. And I was like, this sounds like something I want to do. I applied, got hired. And again, I was like, I know I want to be here, but not here. And next position I got was at Jet Magazine. And it was Allison Tellis who said, you're beauty, you're beauty. And it was like, bing, it was a light bulb. I was like, yes, I love everything about beauty. And even while I was doing this other job, you know, I was a beauty connoisseur. There was things I was taking in, but I never put the two and two together until she said to me, you're beauty. The light bulb went off and then you stayed in beauty. So. Tell me a little bit about the progression in beauty. Once you knew you stayed there, what did you decide you wanted to do with it in ad sales? I stayed in beauty, did ad sales. I think to me, advertising sales, it's now that I can realize that I'm a salesperson. For the longest time, I thought I was marketing. I am not. I'm 100% sales. But I absolutely love the conversation for me for beauty on the sales part because It was talking to us about how to market to us. And to us, when I say women of color, Black women, and that part, the science of that, and math. I let's go back into my love for numbers. It married the two perfectly. 
So it was a conversation and they were doing statistics and they were doing graphs. And let me tell you, I was in beauty heaven. I absolutely loved it. So you're a data geek. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that's the skill that you picked? Well, you already had that skill, but that's the skill you applied that helped set you up for success in your career? Yeah. So it was a combination of the math and the data geek. You have to be able to apply that in real time in human form. You know what I mean? It's not just the numbers and what that means. And then in the abstract way, people should be. For me, these numbers were living. Like I can put five people in a room and give you statistics. And like those three, they're probably part of this statistic. And those two over here, they're definitely going to use mascara because they like blah, 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 blah. It was that kind of combination of skills that I absolutely love, but I definitely was able to hone and pull together to really appreciate this position. And do you think that the sales part, like recognizing that you're a salesperson, that also attributed to your success, actually, now that you're in business for yourself? Absolutely. That was a long time coming, though. I realized, even in my conversation, that everything I talked about was in a sales perspective, a little bit marketing, but more sales. But I've always had this thing against salespeople because I never wanted to be sold to. Funny enough, I'm a hard person to sell things to. I can hear it coming a mile a minute. I can hear the pitch. So I always didn't want to be a salesperson. One of my previous guests, Regina Gwynn, who is the CEO of Trust Noir, said every entrepreneur is a salesperson, whether they want to be or not. I had never thought about it that way. But I embrace that too, because anybody who's in business for themselves, you have to be comfortable with the notion of selling because or else you won't have a business. It's true. No matter what you do, you got to talk to somebody, you got to sell your skills. So I really embrace that. Absolutely. You got to be comfortable to do the ask. And I realized that's what made me the salesperson. In my head, I was marketing and marketing is different. Marketing, you're marketing, right? But it's a salesperson that comes in and do the ask. And sometimes that ask is hard. You also had roles at Hyper and Essence, so you continued that. Tell me about progressing in your career in that way. From Jet, I went over to Hyper, which nurtured me and gave me a platform to explore all aspects of publishing, which was fantastic. It was my learning ground. And then from there, I moved on to Essence. Um, and I was with Essence through a couple of transitions. So Essence, when I had joined, was still 100% Black-owned. And then we had moved into Time, Inc. Um, and by the time I left, you know, there was another transition happening. I think we had merged at that point and had become part of a group. We were part of the InStyle, People in Spaniel, and, and that group. So it was a, each progression was different, but each one had made me stronger in my position and made me more firm in loving beauty. Each time I went to work at any of the magazines, the part I loved the most was a celebration about me. And I was in a category that I love. Right. And being in a position to celebrate women that look like you is just, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I can agree with that because I've worked at a lot of places. And I remember when I worked at L, there were nine editor-in-chiefs during the time I worked there, right? One of them who didn't last a year, whose name I won't say, <laughs> said, we're the magazine, they're the reader. So our voice should be, look, you dumb reader. Oh, wow. That's why she didn't last very long. We are the authorities. And, you know, at the time, I think a lot of uh, publications took that stance, you know, that they are the authority. 
you learn as much from your community as, as you impart information. Absolutely. To this day, I said, I think I got into a conversation, I don't know if it was with Michelle Ebanks, former president of Essence Magazine, but with a conversation saying, I love the print version of all magazines, but Essence in particular, especially being abroad, because it's like a girlfriend coming to visit. It's like my girlfriend coming to visit and we having a talk and I'm saying, girl, what you wearing today? And you open up Essence, she's saying, girl, this is what's happening right now. I'm like, no, yes, it is, girl. I love it. Oh, that <laughs> is the best. I love that. <laughs> that is great. Let's talk about your move to Australia. You've been there a decade, right? Yes, 13 years, actually. Oh, 13. Yeah. So what made you become an entrepreneur? I know you love beauty. What was that move to entrepreneurship like? Scary. <laughs> okay, so I got here the first few years. I acted like I was a celebrity and, you know, the paparazzi just didn't recognize me yet. And I was in hiding. And then <laughs> that had to come out. And I could not get hired, in all honesty. I could not. For the life of me. And I think uh, we spoke English, but we spoke di English differently. They wanted to hire an Australian. Publishing here is different from home. Vogue circulation here is that of a million. And they were like, who, million? And I'm like, that's it? What are you As well as MTV. They were talking about MTV and Nickelodeon. They had a million subscribers a few years ago. And that, they were champion, like, whoa, that's great. There was a, another gentleman here. He was American and he had married Australian. He started an online business because he was trying to understand e-commerce. And I, who wanted to do something and I had a little bit of cash, I was like, I'll help you. So it started off with, I know all of the beauty people in New York, in America. Let me help you. Let me help you with this import. And he said, no. I offered to buy his business. He said, no. I put together a presentation. This goes back to sales and numbers and marketing and graphs. I put together the reason why he should sell me his business. He finally said yes. And the business was an online business for women of color. I thought it was going to be for expats, ex, you know, Americans or people abroad who are going natural. Because I had started that journey as well, going natural. Who needed healthy, no parabens, no sulfate products for their hair. When he had the website, it was only one product. And I was thinking, what woman goes on to a site to buy one product? Who does that? Nobody. I brought the business. Scary. And when I started the e-commerce, I was so scared because I didn't know any of the language. You, you know, when you get into that e-commerce world, it was completely different from my training. But the one skill I did learn from everywhere is that you have to learn how to manage up and manage down even if you're working by yourself. And that part helped me tremendously. So then after there was one product, you decided to, you know, use your connections, right? To actually build this business out. Yes. How easy or hard was that to do? So now I've got this baby, right? You're my new baby, e-commerce. It's called Afropuff. Some people love the name. Some people hate it. But when I brought the business from the gentleman, he said, please don't change the name. I said, so we can work with anything. Sure. Let's make it work. I started calling some of the companies and some of the companies were just people who had advertised in Essence or Hyper, people that I knew. They spoke to me, friends was easy, but they didn't want to do business internationally because there's no accountability. I defaulted on my, you know, 30 day net 30. How do they collect the money? I would say I have an American account. You can take the money out of the American account. It was still too much of a reach because they're like, you're international. 
And if you decide to close your American account, I can't get my money. I understood that. And then there's the licensing about shipping abroad. Some of them didn't want to ship abroad because uh, their product would get here, get pirated, or you know, changed around, formula stolen, and now it's flooding the market with something different. So it was a journey. It was a conversation. It was sales 100% as to why they should trust me and what is the need. And then one question that every company would ask me, <laughs> straight off the bat, regardless of whatever their product was, they're Black people with you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And as I got more into the business and understood what I was selling, who I was selling, I would say to them, but your product is not reaching just Black people. It is reaching curly hair people. And that was surprising to them. That was like, what are you talking about? So this edge control that I'm sending you, you're telling me Jewish women are using it? I'm like, yeah, Italian, Lebanese. It's a whole community of curly people. And you know who was the best at this conversation and who was easy? And I remember I was a salesperson and took some liberties. I remember the community is so small. Getting Tia. Tina Donaldson. Donaldson, yes, Christia Donaldson happened to be a soror. I don't know who gave me her cell phone number, but I called it. Now I shouldn't be calling. She don't know me from a hole in the wall. But this was all to ask her if I can carry her line here. <laughs> she was fantastic. She was gracious. She was kind. She said yes. She did tell me to call the main number and not call the cell phone anymore. <laughs> so you made a point that it's really a textured hair community there. So what is the textured hair awareness and community like in Australia? It's weird because, you know, when I had Afropuffs, I remember one of my girlfriends, some of my free time here when I, before I had the business, I had volunteered my time a lot. I volunteered with Aboriginal community and I volunteered my, my time with the National Council for Jewish Women. I was one of their members for a little while. I know it's the height of random, but they really welcomed me in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's random oh my goodness I want to b- double back and say what 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 made you do that I was a girlfriend she had a great program she had curly hair so we talked curly hair often and she needed a fundraiser for the National Council for Jewish Women and I love the program that they were facilitating and I helped and I helped fundraise because she's curly hair you know we would talk and she when I brought the business she was like that's a terrible name you know, Tom, you've got to change it. Like, who are you attracting? And I thought, well, we know it's rock. You know, we as in Black Americans, they'll come on board. And I said, and if the products are are great, then it won't matter. And that's what happened. So I was shocked and amazed that people from all backgrounds, if you had curly hair, somehow they found Afropuff. And what they were doing was typing in, you know, your SEOs of curly hair, fridge control, and Afropuffs would come up. When I would call them and say, your order is ready from Afropuff, they was like, what's that? No, 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 we don't want Afropuffs. They just wanted the product, which works for me. So they don't use the words like, at home we say natural. When I use those kind of words out here, they're like, what's that mean? I have to say curly for them to identify that this product is for them. It's the curly hair community. Ah, that's fairly interesting. They are, as a community, in terms of curly hair, and that is your Black Americans, Africans, Lebanese, Jewish, Italian, you know, the multicultural world of us. They are where we were, America, 
10 years ago in terms of the hair movement. They've just started their transitioning. They've just started really embracing their curls. You're really one of the leaders in kind of educating them on what's happening. Yes. It's funny. There's a community out here called the Curly Girl Movement. Lorraine Macy, she wrote a book a few years ago about the Curly Girl and it's about co-washing. We've been doing this time and memorial. We've been doing this forever. When we really started embracing our curls and embracing our natural texture, we kind of got this down path. They are catching on to where we were. A Greek woman had come in and then an Egyptian woman had come in and they were sitting in the salon and they were talking and their stories were similar similar to an African-American who had gone to a salon who basically they were saying, you should straighten your hair. You need to be more presentable. Why do you look like such a mess? If you want to get a job, you need to straighten your hair. And then they talked about their journey out of straightening their hair. And for them, most of them was keratin. And for us, it was relaxing. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, pdbizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. You've made the transition from e-commerce to brick and mortar. The reason why I did that, because people started knocking on the door. (laughs) At your house? At my house. So I had ran the business, the e-commerce, out of the front room of my house. And, you know, at night I would process orders and I was getting more and more calls. My address, the business address was my home address. So more and more calls, people were like, can I come by and just pick it up? So the first few times I was like, okay. When it started becoming like 10 o'clock at night, people knocking on the door. Can I get some echo salad gel? I was like. <laughs> it might be time to open up a shop. Yes, that's what made me move there. And it was one of the best. So the shop is, it's a salon and half of it is completely a retail space where we, the only thing we sell are products for curly hair, all mostly organic, holistic, you know, no parabens, no sulfates. And on the other side is a salon, but we only do curly hair. So there's been a couple of times that people with straight hair have come to the door and I'm like, I'm sorry, we don't do straight hair. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? What are the words that are coming out of your mouth? And I'll call back to the stylist. Do you guys, can you do her hair? And they're all looking at her like, what? Straight? Her hair straight. We don't do straight hair. I'm like, this is a bizarre world. And I've got to recommend her to somebody else or can't do the hair. <laughs> That's hilarious. How long ago did you open the store? Uh, this October makes two years. Is the salon open now? The store in the salon open now? Yes. Even yes, because you said before we started, um, you know, recording that you know COVID in Australia depends on where you are in Australia, how easy it is to move around. So just talk about where you are. Well, I'm in Sydney, Australia. COVID hit, and we went into lockdown. Sydney went into lockdown in particular. Melbourne, in particular, has been locked down a second round of lockdowns for now eight weeks. But in, in Sydney, when we went into lockdown, the first, the prime minister said, okay, so long, you don't have to be closed. However, you can only do your service in 30 minutes. You need to be able to do your service in 30 minutes. And, you know, I think the people in parliament said, who are you talking to? So then he limited the salons to having, you know, being COVID safe. You can have X amount of people in a salon at what certain time. 
Um, most salons closed their doors in Sydney that first round of lockdown because they said it was just too much for them to manage and adjust. All of the salons, we stayed open because my salon is small boutique. We have uh, three chairs and we could schedule it so that there's only one person in at a time. It slowed down the stylists. They weren't making the kind of money, but it wasn't zero. The one thing that picked up for every salon, ourselves included, is if you had an online store. It was crazy. People were ordering like nobody's business. It was Christmas during that time. Wow. I think I saw that you did an event. So you started adding events. As you said, the whole curly community and the celebration of curls is new down under. So one of the ways that it grew is because of events. And you started doing events as well, correct? Yes. So a girlfriend of mine who used to live here, she's American, and she married an Australian, and they moved back to the States. So she's in California now. Her name is Asia Bradley, and she does events. And so she's natural. Um, she does events and she does um, beauty con beauty con. There you go. She called me up and she was like, Tom, this was one of her ideas. She's like, we need some type of event in Australia for curly hair. And I was like, I know the community and we do. And at that point, you was getting more and more clients who were coming in and who were saying, we just need help. If they were coming in and buying a product, it turned out to be 20 to 30 minute consultation on how to use this product. And you could see that the community was just wanted information. Like I said, it's where we were, America, 10 years ago when we first started with the meetups, where those meetups was just a community where we're all sitting there together and talking about our journey. And that's what led me to. After those conversations, and Asia gave me a call, I was like, let's do this. And honestly, it was in December. And so we got Cantu flew out. Myel flew out, they sent the team. Mixed Chicks sent their team, the owners of the brand, they came out. Shane Moisture had representation. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. And the Australians love seeing the brands out here saying, hey, we see you, and got a chance to talk about hair and have a conversation. But the thing that blew me away, I did the opening, and when you look out into the sea of faces, I said to them, you know, I had a speech prepared, which I completely went off script. I said, I got to say this to y'all. What brings us here today is not gender, ethnicity, or age. It is the curl. Wow. That is what has unified us. And that was amazing because I had Malaysians, I had Indians, I had Black Americans. Like, it ran the gamut in terms of curls. It was amazing. So what was it called? Love My Curls. It was the Love My Curls Festival. Obviously, I mean, these times it's a little hard. Are you thinking about making it a virtual event, doing it again and making it a virtual event? Sydney siders and Australians are a little bit different. They don't really get into the virtual. We're not there yet. They want to be out. It's such a pretty city. They want to be out and touch and feel. And because they are still so young in their journey, they do need to be out to touch and feel and understand hair and porosity and texture you know, four C's and all of that. And so many people have curl dysmorphia, so. Talk about curl dysmorphia for a minute. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) Curl dysmorphia. And it runs the gamut. So, you know, curl dysmorphia, people will see a picture and it'll be somebody with a very soft curl or they're watching YouTube and they say, that's what my curls look like. If I use this product, it's going to make my curls look like that. Now they might have a three area hair, but they're looking at, 
<laughs> either a two, which is more of a wave, or, you know, maybe something a little bit deeper, but it's not their curl. And in their head, they're convinced, no, that's what my curl looks like. Or you have somebody who's in the fours who they're looking at somebody who's, because they think of their color and their ethnicity and their cultural background, they're thinking that their hair is much tougher than it is. And I'll say to them, you got really soft hair. You're not as deep of a tight of a curl as you think that you are. And that's a shock to them because they think, you know, it's beating the drum. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so people know about body dysmorphia. So curl dysmorphia is a thing, y'all. It's a it's thing. A- <laughs> what do you think is the unsung skill you need to succeed as a beauty entrepreneur? For me, I would say people skills. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. However, you know, because we all have our own perception of what beauty is, managing that from selling to your day-to-day people, that people skills is important. Now, you have a team. You have a team of stylists. And, you know, first you were like the one-woman show in the front of your house packing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now you got a team. How do you identify talent? You know, how do you build a team? There's two things. I have curated the business, even when it was... Afro Puffs, and now the store is called Curls and Natural Hair. I've curated it that I would say 80% of our brands are by women, for women, especially with some type of cause behind it. And I do curate my talent the same way. It's for us. We're women. And I love to see us passionate about it. So when I'm talking to someone and they make me feel like I need to get a haircut, I'm like, you know what? Come on. Let's do this. Let's work this out. So I hire out the chairs in my salon for young entrepreneurs to make their way, to build their business. It's a team. It's really for that, that person. This is one woman. She's, she's from California. She ordered something from Afropuffs, and you can pick it up at the shop now at Curls and Natural Hair. So she comes in, and she started talking to me about her business. And I said, I would love to work for you. You can just see the passion and the excitement. And then she showed me her work and her skills were phenomenal. So she's a mobile braid boss that goes around and she does braiding. And she's always coming up with new and innovative styles, no kind of tension. I call her my celebrity stylist because I have no vision about hair, which is funny. She's like, Tommy, I can do this hairstyle for you. I'm like, come on. And it always works. Always. Those are the kind of people. I want people who want to be immersed in this. Yeah, that's great. So you're running both Afro Puffs and Curls and Natural Hair? I am. Wow. When do you sleep? I don't. <laughs> and I've signed up for something else, a beauty app. And is it going to relate to either one of the businesses or is it a new business altogether? So a gentleman had called me and he's like, you want to come in and an interview? And I was like, no, I don't be in an interview. But when I got in there, I love the product so much. So we have it at home in the States already, but it's a beauty app that has basically a beauty directory, but it's curated. And I love the idea of curation. Curated so that it's a friend recommendation. So if I say to you, hey, when you come in and get your hair done, so try these places. So they're curated salons, nails, beauty, skin, hair, as well as a booking feature for salons. So a mobile booking feature for a salon that now if COVID or some other crisis hit us, you're now mobile. You can go from place to place with your booking. You can accept pictures, reject, all this on the app. 
So you already answered my last question from this section. When do you know it's time to try something new? Because, well, you always are trying something new. When do you know when it's trying to add something to the repertoire? Like what drives you? You know, I have such an appetite for this community of beauty. And I'm always wondering how can we improve? What can make it better? What do we need? So when it was Afro puzzle, it was people knocking on the door. Okay, it's time to get a shop. When we got to the shop, it was people asking for education. Okay, it's time to have an event. Once we had an event, I'm now talking to other stylists. And when the pandemic hit, they started having a conversation of, you know what, what? My business is on hold. What do you do? As well as people who were traveling international, where do I find someplace other than going to Google? You know, that's where we normally go. That I trust that I can get my hair done in this place. Where do I go? It's just more of a conversation. It's like a natural evolution that pulls me from one project to the next. I think that's exciting, though. And I think people dream about living and working abroad. And most of the time, the dream is, I'm going to get a job and work abroad. That's me. That was me, 100%. But this conversation opens up another avenue. You know, you get abroad, and if it doesn't work out, if you're going to stay there, you kind of survey the market and see what you can do for yourself. Absolutely. And for here in Australia, I know of a couple of other people who I can't say they came here as entrepreneurs, but can I tell you that entrepreneur little thing has opened up the doors to so many people. There's a girlfriend who opened up a soul food vegan food cart and they are sold out every time. Like you got to get there early to get your soul food vegan. Like that is very niche. But they love her food, the cornbread and the mac and cheese. I ain't never seen Australians talk about mac and cheese. I'm like, you like the mac and cheese? I'm like, oh, yes, we love the mac and cheese. (laughs) Which is hilarious. But you're right. When they went abroad, it opens you up. Your mindset turns a little bit different. If you can allow yourself to. What is the thing you don't know about moving abroad? What is it the most surprising thing or the thing you must prepare yourself for when you move abroad? Because you're taking care of the hair thing. Now we've taken that off the table because it used to be, where are you going to get your hair done? So what is the thing just about living abroad that you should prepare yourself for if that is something on your wish list? Wow, that's a big question because we've traveled a lot, but the one thing that I was too comfortable in is English. It was my assumption that wherever we went, that English is universal and that if you did go to English speaking country, that we all speak English the same. And that was a false positive for me because I'm, you know, asking people something in my version of English and they're not understanding anything that I'm saying. And that was hard. It might have been better to go to a country that I didn't speak the language because then I would have to learn it. But this was a comfort that wasn't comfortable. So now I don't have products that I can use, skincare that I would definitely, you know, take on, you know, makeup and stuff that I can't find. And I can't even speak the language. So that mindset, once I've treated myself as, okay, maybe I don't know the language the way I think I do, and just open myself up, there was another adjustment. But that first year was like, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth, people? Like they said to me, it was parents, and they were talking to me, and they were like, yeah, Tommy, we're going to have a play day with some prezzies in the Arvo. Is avo avocado? What is avo? And what are prezzies? Prezzies are presents. We're going to bring some presents and um, we're going to have a play date in the afternoon. Why do I just say afternoon? What's avo? I would have been lost too. Oh, yes. So people, this is something you better keep in mind if you're thinking about moving to an English-speaking country. (laughs) 
This is just your mind. Just, don't think you know English. I was too firm in my thought in English. I'm from Harlem. I know English. You ain't gonna tell me you know English. <laughs> I don't know what y'all talking about. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What's the first beauty product you ever purchased? Pink and green Maybelline mascara. And that pink and green was a portent of things to come. <laughs> For you. <laughs> What's the last beauty product you tried? Korean skin mask. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? So my beauty advice was somebody had told me to learn my porosity of hair. The one that I leave alone is all products for curly hair work for all hair. That one doesn't work. And I actually actively educate against that. Who gave you the best career advice and what was it? Steve Gross, High Fair Magazine, and he said, if everybody likes you, you're not working hard enough. <laughs> Ooh, I love because that. Sometimes fall into that thing of wanting to be liked, right? But if you pushing and you asking those hard questions and not ask, you're going to ruffle a couple of feathers and you got to be comfortable with that. What was your most memorable mentorship experience as a mentor or a mentee? I'm going to go back into probably... It was high pair and then essence, the combination of the two, where those people above me really took me under their wings and nurtured me and gave me accounts and allowed me to build relationships in the beauty industry that nurtured me to the point of where I am today. And were gentle about my mistakes. You know, it was a gentle tap. It was like, you know, Steve Gross, when he said, Tommy, everybody seems to like you. You need to be pushing a little bit harder. And I got that. I understood that. And when it came to Essence, it was working with L'Oreal at the time, the, you know, one of my biggest clients. And again, it was like, you're doing a great job. We need you to push a little bit more. What makes an entrepreneur memorable? I think for me, it is the way you make people feel. It is that ability as an entrepreneur to paint a picture, to live your life, encourage everybody to live their life in technicolor and then invite them on that journey. Come on, come see this picture. Come with me. Come join it. Can't you see how beautiful this is? That entrepreneur will always be remembered because people will remember how they felt when they saw this picture, when they joined you in this picture, when they helped you create that picture. Wow, that's a great answer. And proof that you should be an entrepreneur because you're passionate about not only the subject that you're talking about, beauty, but the actual journey of entrepreneurship. Since you have three businesses going at the same time, <laughs> you're a wife and mother. So um, the rest of us feel like we're not doing enough, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it is work. I ain't going to even lie. It helps if the girls are older, though. The younger me would have thought I could have had all of this when I was younger and the girls were younger. It helps, you know, Emery is 14 and Talia is 11. So they're a little bit more independent, and that helps. When they were younger, it would have been a lot for me to try to do all this. But it is inspiring to see all that you have done. But I mean, even if we're not moving abroad, we could like step it up a little bit, folks, when we see kind of the way that Tommy's moving, you know. And what I love is that you could take your experience with beauty, natural hair community, your lived experience and experiences of those you know, and use it to help grow a movement in Australia. It's really powerful. Thank you. It's a beautiful journey. You know, there's some bumps, but I enjoy the bumps. 
And I think that even their attitude about it is something to be admired because sometimes, you know, let me just speak for myself. Sometimes the bump makes me not want to get off the couch. So like hearing your approach makes me think of those things differently. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, this is great. Miss Tommy, Thomasina Boone. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 